Hello team and welcome to episode 410 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Paul Zolman. Paul is the international best-selling author of The Role of Love and creator of The Role of Love Dice. You've probably heard of the love languages before, but I'm pretty sure you've never applied them in the way that Paul and I talk about today. Paul has created an approach that has helped him and many others transform the way they give and receive love, and most importantly, has found a way to make this happen on a regular basis. If you've heard of the love languages before, you're going to love this episode. If you've not, you're also in for a treat. In this episode, you can expect to learn how Paul has transformed from childhood abuse to giving and receiving love every day, what different love languages that Paul would add to the existing five, along with how to make this stick and develop all the different love languages that they become second nature. So without further ado, Paul Zolman. Paul Zolman, welcome to the show. How are you today? Oh, thank you, Elliot. I'm great. Great to be with you. My pleasure. My pleasure is truly mine. I'm excited to dive into our topic of conversation today. It's something that's interested me for a while, not something that we've specifically discussed in detail on this podcast. So it's going to be a really, really interesting topic. But before we do dive in, can you give the listeners a bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? I call myself a love language linguist. And it's just like any any company owner calls themselves a CEO or you just name yourself, whatever you want to be named. And a love language <laughs> kind of fits with what I like to do. And I like to send out love, and I've created a way to send it out every day and in a different way every single day. And using the principles of the love languages, it's different every single day. So over a 30-day period, anyone can really become very versed in the different love languages by sending it out. And after you've done that, you can see it when it comes back your way. So that's what I like to do. Amazing. I remember maybe 18 to 20 months ago, I had someone on the show who's called Dr. Happy. That's essentially what he likes to call himself. And he was a happiness expert as well. So how did you come to become the person who is a love language linguist? It's a great question, Elliot. Um, I really didn't always, I wasn't always like this, but I I was raised in, in a family of abuse. And maybe I can tell a little bit about that to provide some context here of where I came from. And I think it was a generational thing that was passed on, possibly from my grandfather, possibly farther back than him. But I had a grandfather that um, had had nine children with his first wife. Then his wife suddenly passed away. He decided to sell the farm. This was in Indiana, in the United States. They decided to sell the farm and all the equipment. And when the people came to the auction, he said, and would you like this child? And would you like this child? And would you like this child? And systematically gave all the children away except for one. Oh, wow. And he took, yeah, very sad story. Took with him Benjamin and moved to Montana, again in the United States, and and was during the Homestead Act. This was late 1800s, early 1900s. And when he moved to Montana, found a, a school teacher that never been married, had 10 more children with her, of which my father's number six. Now, my father um, kind of toned it down. Instead of having 19 children, my father only had 11. I'm number 10 of 11 children. But this this grandfather passed away when my father was just 10 years old. Really uh, kind of brought on economic hardship. In addition to that, all the abandonment issues and everything like that. And so just some mental stress there, some mental health issues 
that were happening within the family dynamics that were just passed on. So because of that, it was uh, my father was born in 1922. The Great Depression, when his father passed away, was 1932. And so in that, in the middle of that Great Depression, here is my father, 10 years old, and trying to figure out what to do. He continues to go to school for a few more years, and it's just too hard. Just too hard economically, too hard mentally to, to cope with everything that's going on within his life. And he drops out after eighth grade. So he only has that, that small education, so he became a truck driver. And as a truck driver, as what I remember growing up is that he only came home on the weekends, was gone during the week. But it was on every Friday he came home. Every Friday he dated my mother. And it was something that I absolutely uh, revere and respect about my father is that he took her out that he'd never miss. Every Friday night they'd have he wasn't he wasn't so creative about the date because it was always the Maverick Bar and it was always over alcohol. And being number ten of eleven children, I imagine that my mother started saying, Well, how's your week? How's your week? and started with all the older children first and then finally get down to me. So what happened, uh, and I'm imagining what happened in that scenario because I got the wrath of it all. It seemed like I got the wrath of it all because he'd be annoyed at the older brothers, annoyed, 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 and then he'd flash. And then it just, when he's ready to flash, it's either the belt or it's a, a severe spanking. And I remember severe spankings, um, so severe sometimes that I was black and blue for about three weeks before I'd be healing up. And it was just, just a kind of an awful situation. That's where I came from. So I, I learned, Elliot, what not to do first. So at age 17, after my junior year of high school, I decided that I was going to move. And I moved out, moved in with my older brother who lived in a different city, stayed with his family for about a year and finished my senior year. He, in the middle of that year, his, his company transferred him to a different state and so, in the, uh, so I finished my senior year on the road. Then I spent a couple of years in Japan. That's how I learned Japanese. And while I was in Japan, I thought, you know what? I feel like I need to stay in contact with my parents. I just had that feeling. And I'm Christian. And I thought, you know, I, I like the, the Ten Commandments. The fifth one is to honor your father and your mother. And so I thought, how, how can I do that? You know, here I came from that, that background of abuse. How can I honor my father and my mother? And so I thought, well, what if I wrote him a letter? And it was back in the age when it was all snail mail and there was no email. <laughs> back in that age, <laughs> maybe a lot of your listeners don't even remember that age, but it was back in that, in that time frame. And so I was snail mailing all these, all these letters to my, to my parents. After two years of doing that, I thought there came a time I, I was at a crossroads. I make a decision. Am I going to keep that habit or am I going to give it up? And I thought, this is really a good habit. Why would I give up a good habit? And so I decided I would keep that habit. And for, ever, for however long it needed to be, I would keep that habit and try to continue to develop a relationship with my parents, find out where they came from and why why they did what they did. And so over that, over a 32 year period of writing my parents until they both had passed away, which uh, my, I, I developed a relationship that, that just kind of, it took away a lot of the animosity that I had toward them because of the way I was raised. But it also did for me, 
um, I, I could not get rid of the anger, Elliot. It was just so hard. The the stacking of being annoyed, 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 and then flashing. I could not get rid of that. And I saw my brothers have the same problem, that they they would do the same thing. And I realized at some point in time that actually it's been recently that I realized that the annoyance was because of something someone else did. Even though it's out of my lane, I had I didn't realize I don't have any control over that. Why am I being annoyed? And and if we stop being annoyed by what we don't have control over, life is going to be a lot happier anyway. So that's just kind of some mental health tip. I remember um, blaming my father for all the social awkwardness, just various things, relationship failures, social awkwardness, all that sort of thing up until I was about age 35. And then at age 35, I realized, huh, I'm, I, I think I'm responsible for my choices. I'm responsible for what I'm supposed to do. Finally, at age 35, I'm a late bloomer. And just so, so that's what happened. What I found out, Elliot, and I've, I maybe il- can illustrate it this way, was when I walked the other day and I found a walking stick. And it's, uh, and it's just on one side of the stick, it's very smooth. And on the other side of the stick, it's got some gnarly spots on it, maybe some knots. So I call this my I call this my naughty and nice stick. So it's it's kind of like a spectrum. I'm sure Santa Claus has a stick just like that. So be good, Elliot. So Christmas will come. It's almost here. That naughty and nice stick actually was really um, a great illustration for me to show a spectrum. Where was I at on that spectrum? And I I decided that the angry uh, humor, the angry words, the angriness was all on the naughty side of the stick. I didn't want to be there anymore. And so it really was pronounced to me when I was dating about 15 years ago. This, uh, let me back up just a second. This flashing, I'm sure it was contributory to my first marriage, the, the demise of my first marriage. So it just broke apart. So after that, I was dating for a little while, and and uh, I had the kids for a little bit, primary custodian, then relinquished the custodial, the primary custodian to my ex-wife. So she had the kids for the rest of the time that they were home. So in that time frame, I was doing some dating, and and my sister calls me up and thinks I'm lonely, wants me to introduce her to her neighbor. And it was seven hours away. I just really didn't want to do the destination date thing again. I'd, I'd, I'd done that for, I'd done that for a year and a half. I did not want to do that again. I said, no, I don't want to. She said, oh, come on. And it's just, it was, you got to do what big sister says. You know, as uh, the 10th child of my parents, we used to have to walk up to the TV to turn the channel. You didn't have the remotes way back then. I'm, I'm dating myself. So it's, it's, you had to turn, walk up to the TV and turn the channel um, physically. And they had a little pointer that pointed at what, what channel number you were on and everything. I could do that, but it was under the direction of one of my older siblings. So I didn't really have a lot of privileges that way. And I always had to ha- get approval of big sister, big brothers. And so that's, this was kind of that same thing. So she said, oh, come on. And I said, okay. Well, I started corresponding. We developed a relationship. And then I decided to move up closer to my sister to continue the relationship. And it went, well, it was time for big brother approval. So I take this woman up to my big brother's house. First thing that she walks in, my sister-in-law pulls her aside and said, 
The only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up was anger. At first I said, oh, oh, denied it. Then it made me mad. I thought, she nailed it. I I got caught right on the spot in in a kind of an awkward situation. And I I determined right then and there that if there's going to be any change in that perception of the Zolman name or the Zolman family, I've got an opportunity to change it right now. So I started reading the color code and I started reading the five love languages. And then I kind of settled on the principles of the five love languages. With those principles, I was I contacted Dr. Chapman. I couldn't, I couldn't understand his book. So I contacted him, asked if he was licensing the icons. He wrote back and said no. Well, I still couldn't understand it. So I, I was trying to figure out a way that I could present it or understand it just a little bit better. From what I understood, Elliot, that if I guess what love language you are, you are and if I cater to that, we're going to be buddies. I'm a terrible guesser. Just a horrible guesser, and that wasn't going to work for me. The other thing that Dr. Chapman has is say, well, if you take this survey, I'll find out what love language I am. What am I supposed to do with that? Advertise? Hello, Elliot. I'm Gil. What do you have for me today? I mean, it's just so awkward. That wasn't working for me either. So I thought one thing, in, even in our dysfunctional family growing up, one thing that I did like is that when we got together as a family to play games, it was kind of a nice time. It was a time that I, I learned how to play cards. I learned how to play Pinochle and, and just a few different card games that way. And, and just it was kind of a good time. It was definitely not not as abusive as, as other times, but it was just a good time. So I thought, maybe, what if I can make this a game? And that's when I contacted Dr. Chapman. When he said no on the icons, I contacted a local attorney about the copyright. And he said that theory like the love language theory, is not copyrightable. Application is. So he didn't have it as a game. So I, I made my own icons, and I put it on a die. You can see the die right here. There I've got GIF, touch, there are the words, there's time, and there's service. So those are the five love languages. Six sides on the dice. The last side is surprise me. Oh, so wow. there's just... That's new. So there's just two instructions, Elliot. You roll the die every day. That's the love language you practice giving away all day that day. Unlike the thing that Dr. Chapman had in his book about doing it to your significant other. I was single. I didn't have a significant other. So who am I going to give this away to? And I figured, well, I only have the power to give it away. I can't really bid people to love me because how's that going to turn out? Well, I told you how to love me. Why aren't you doing that? I mean, it's, you know, with that pity party, I did not want the whining, did not want any of that. So I decided that as I'm giving it away, I'm giving it away without any expectation of it coming back. By doing that, over a 30-day period, I was able to learn all five love languages and be able to see it when I was giving it away, be able to understand what they were backwards and forwards by giving it away. But I could see it when it came my way. So when it came my way, if it's not my primary love language, it's most, most people respond to their primary love language. But if it's over here and it's not quite their primary love language, they may think that's nice, but it's not my love language. They might not consider it actually love. But if someone's sending me a love language that's not my primary love language, I still can see it now. I've got that peripheral vision. I can see it as love. As it relates to, to mental health or for dating or for anything like that, I think this is a great way for people to improve their loving skills. It's a great way to, to be able to, 
find out all the love languages so that you can see it when it comes your way. Just think of that. If everybody had that peripheral vision and could see the differences in love, what the world would be, it'll be a different place right now. Yeah, I can completely imagine. And thank you for that context because it did allow us to see your journey all the way from like you mentioned, childhood abuse through the anger that came off the back of that, even with you trying to maintain that relationship with your parents to coming to a place where you now know how to give and receive love in a very, very effective and meaningful way as well. So you've pretty much flipped from the other side to the yeah, other side of the spectrum or the other side of your stick as you, as you showed to us as well. And with that being said, I want to take a little bit of a step back to explain maybe the love languages in a bit of detail for those who have maybe not come across this concept too much before and then go into the real world application of that. So can you firstly run us through the five different love languages and talk about some maybe practical examples? Because I think once again, makes more sense in terms of a relationship. You mentioned you were giving it out to the world. And when I hear giving physical touch out to the world, it might be a little bit of a gray area. So can you go through that for us? Sure. Let's start with physical touch because that's really an easy one. You know, there's there's a lot of, um, during COVID, it was really hard. People didn't want to hug each other, didn't want to even touch each other. And if you're a touchy-feely kind of person, it was terrible. If you're an introvert, it was it was wonderful. I mean, I don't want to be around those people is what the introverts say. And this is perfect. This is a perfect pandemic for the introvert. And it was just, so, you know, some spokes of the wheel are up, some spokes of the wheel are down. And it just, it just depends. But as far as um, physical touch goes, so we're looking for a high five. We're looking for the fist bumps. We're looking for the pats on the back. Um, maybe you'll tossle somebody's hair or and, and maybe that just gets a, too, a little bit too close. Or you'll shake their hand or you'll you'll do the hip bump or, or like a football player. They come up and together and they bump chests. And I mean, that's all physical touch. Just however you do it. And then there are, special, there are other people that kind of make a special handshake. So they'll slap, they'll slap and they'll, they'll do this and they'll do all these things for a handshake. And, the, and that's, that's all physical touch. So it's kind of what, whatever you want to make it in that way. But those, those are really ways to be touched. If, somebody, if you develop a handshake with somebody like that, that was your special handshake, you'd have that connection. And so the whole idea of physical touch is to have the connection. What I found, Elliot, with the rolling the die and sending that out, you're watching for people to light up. And when they light up, that's what you can detect as possibly a love language that they appreciate, one that they like, possibly even their primary love language. So the next one let's talk about is time. So on time, what you're doing on that day is you're just putting on brakes just a little bit, spending more, a little bit more time, possibly with children, possibly with grandchildren, possibly with your spouse, just spending a little bit more time, spending maybe with a, a co-worker that you're spending more time not being so impatient. This is the time for patience, and it's not a time for impatience. It's just taking, taking out that element of impatience out of your schedule that you're not going to not going to be practicing impatience that day. You're practicing patience. You're practicing kindness in in a way of you've met people and mo most of your audience probably have met people that when they've got full focus on that day, that they're 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 all in. When you're with them, they're 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 present with you. That's the time. That's what time is all about. Making people helping people have that feeling that you're all in, you're, you're right there, you're present with them and making sure they have that feeling all day. Some people are really good at it. They do it all day long. They just make you feel like, 
like you're the only person in the whole wide world and, and it's your time. So that's that's what time's about. Service. Service is a day that you would you know, wash somebody's car. You'd cook dinner for mm-hmm. them. You'd clean the carpets. You'd wash the dishes. You'd do, you'd do service for them. And when they light up again, that's what the love language is like. You just make that mental note for that on that day. So those are kind of acts of service. My wife and I like to uh, go to charitable organizations. There's one locally that we go to that packs lunches for the weekend for children that usually get the lunch at school, but they really kind of starve or don't have the, that capacity to have a lunch on the weekend because maybe their parents are poor or something like that. So we pack lunches for those type of, of children. The words, again, those are the compliments that you're getting, sending out. Those are those. That's a. I like your hat, Elliot. Those are. Those are just. I like your mustache. It's just that type of thing that you're observing something about that person, and it may not be something physical like a hat or shirt or or mustache or anything like that. It may be a characteristic of that person that you really like. And I I really like the words sending it out because some people don't even know that they really have that quality until you actually point it out to them that you like that particular quality of them. Then they'll light up. They'll say, oh, there was a lady at church the other day that I said, cute haircut, Kathy. And her husband was sitting right beside her and and he was looking down. He hadn't even noticed that she had her haircut. I mean, how many times does the man do that? That They don't notice what's going on with with a woman right beside him. And, and so it was, it was kind of a funny situation, awkward. She absolutely looked like a Christmas tree thinking somebody finally noticed. And then because he obviously hadn't been noticing all these, all these years, gifts would be just what it, what it is. It's, it's gifts. There was a, so I, I've got a couple that was testing the die. They rolled the die. He knew that she did not like gifts or just really didn't, light her up. She liked the words. So what he did to accommodate that when he rolled the rolled gifts, it's not like, oh no, uh, what am I going to do? It's not, it wasn't like that at all, but it was more, how can I be more creative with this so that she will like something? So he actually wrote her a note and put it in a package mm. and wrapped the package and then gave that to her. When she opened it, she was de- delighted, absolutely delighted that it was a personal note, handwritten note from her husband. And so that's that's basically it. On the surprise me day, the fifth, the sixth side of the dice, the surprise me day, you're looking for opportunities to do random acts of kindness. And so it's just anything like that. Some people call it mystery. Some I call it surprise me. Some people call it dealer's choice. Depends on where you live. Dealer's choice is really kind of common around the Las Vegas area where I'm, at, where I'm from. And you're watching for any of the love languages to send it out in, in any way on that particular day. So that's that's basically the, the love languages there. The whole mindset, Elliot, here is that, and what's helped me overcome the anger, all the, all the stacking and, and stacking of annoyances and flashing went completely away within that 30 days. I was surprised myself how quickly it went away. The, my, the mindset change was that I stopped being annoyed about anything anybody else was doing and focused on what I was doing, the love I was sending out. And when, when I'm focused on that, I'm watching for what's right about that person, what can I love about that person, 
instead of going down their critical path, which says, what's wrong with that person? And you start being critical and judgmental and just start going down that path. You don't even have to have to, have to go there. For the most part, most people were not the judge of one another. We, we should really be standing in the lane, watching what we're doing, what we're sending out. We really aren't their judge. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm interested to get an idea of people who have not experienced certain love languages in their life. I know that there's so many people in relationships where their partner's love language is words of affirmation, but they were never told a single word of affirmation in your life. Maybe you can relate to this. There was no I love yous in the house. There was no I'm proud of you. There was no you look great today. You look beautiful. You look handsome, whatever that might be. And these people then grow up and realize that they have discomfort with even expressing these words. And they don't even know how to, yet their partner is screaming out for the for a compliment or for even just confirmation that this person loves me and wants to be in the relationship. So how did you get specifically good at giving out love, especially in a way that you didn't specifically receive it? And how do you recommend people get to grips with trying to deliver their partner's love language or their colleague or their friend's love languages when they have no idea how to even get started with it? That's a great question, Elliot, and it's very complex that way. And I think that it's really important that that you just use your skills of observation. As I mentioned, mm -hmm. that you're watching for them to light up. That's how you detect. No longer do you have to put, a, put in front of them this survey and say, could you take this survey so I know how to love you? You don't have to pause the relationship for anything like that. It's awkward anyway. Watch. Just watch and, and watch them light up. And when you're practicing this, especially those people that may not have had any words of affirmation growing up and they're just very uncomfortable, when you start practicing this, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be a little uncomfortable because everybody usually likes they like the, the idea of reciprocity. If I give mm. away if I give away what I want, maybe it'll come back. It doesn't happen that way. Not with this at all. Then this really is. I I I'm saying that this is a better way. That you give it all away. Learn how to give all the love languages away, so that you can understand uh, number one. But you you can receive it when it comes back your way. And it's just it takes a lot of practice to actually send what people want to them. And then even when they, uh, I mean, even if they light up for something, they might not light up for, for that the next day. And it might change a little day to day. Like they might want a gift one day. Of course, on Christmas and, or on a birthday, you would expect a gift. And then you light up. You're supposed to light up. But on other days, they might want something else. The practice of stepping out of that comfort zone, stepping out from giving away what you like, just forget about you. Really, and I'm, I'm sorry to say that to a lot of the audience because they might think it's all about them. It's not. It's, it's about them. It's about, it's about the other people, and it's not about us anymore. It's about them. And so you're, you're working all day long to make somebody's day. When you make their day, they're also going to be a lot happier. They're going to go with their, around their own circle of influence and make their day. And it's just going to spread, spread love in that way. That's the whole idea. That's what you want to send out. That's what you want to accomplish. You don't have any expectation of coming back, but you know it will. And when they light up, that's definitely satisfactory for, for whatever you've sent out. But it's like putting money in the piggy bank. You're saving that or it's come, going to come back. You don't know when. 
On the contrast, on the naughty end of the stick, if you send out anger, you get an immediate return on your investment. It's coming right back to you. Who wants that? And who wants to send that? Or if you're sending out criticism, guess what? They're starting to critique you. They're going to look at your weaknesses, going to look at your failings, and then start criticizing you. Who wants that? Nobody. Send out love. It's a whole lot better. It's a better choice. Mm, I like that a lot. And I'm interested now in getting people to a stage of being able to not coerce their partner into doing it, but let's say we've got someone in the relationship who's very committed to this. They are doing their best to identify where their partner's lighting up. They're doing their best to feel their partner's love tank in every single way, yet they're not getting it back. And even you know, after months of giving and giving, let's say, for example, we've got a man who is in the typical provider role. He pays for the house. He goes out to work and you know, he doesn't want to come home and have to praise his wife with all these words that she needs to hear because he thinks that he's doing his job as the provider and he's, you know, bringing the things home and he's giving the resources. So it's a combination of active service and gifts all rolled into one. So he feels like he's giving all of this stuff, but she's just looking for those words. It's not to say that she wants him to take away the fact that he's providing for the household, but she wants the words and he's like, well, now I already do all of this for you. And I can imagine there's a lot of conflict there, especially if someone's invested into this, they know what they want, they're doing their best to give it out. But some people don't tend to be, like we said, we kind of expect that reciprocity and maybe we shouldn't expect, but at some level of a relationship, we want to feel love just as much as we're giving out love. So what does someone do in that situation, which I think is quite a common place to be if someone isn't maybe in that growth mindset or that open mind of trying to learn to love their partner in the way that they really want to receive it? That's a really good question, Elliot. And I think that um, just from my own relationship, my wife likes to do things with me, but this is one thing to, she, she, she doesn't do. And, and she hasn't really stepped out that way um, to, to roll the die. But what I do, so I do, so instead of rolling it with her, I roll it in private. And so she tries to guess, she actually, she is actually has more fun trying to guess what love language am I practicing that day, just okay. from what, from what I'm doing on that day. And so it's kind of, kind of a situation like that, as far as our couple, um, our significant other situation goes, but with that, with a person that just kind of refuses that to me, that's kind of, uh, Dr. Chapman kind of alludes to that, that you should do it just through a significant other. You should have find out what their love language is and then just cater to that. And I'm, I'm saying I'm saying that that's better to learn all the love languages so that actually you can see it coming both ways. And it's more than that. It's a commitment that you're not with your significant other all day long. You're not. You're going to work or you're going to play or you're going to do something, something else. And so that significant other part of it, that love only becomes a part-time job. It's not like I did the dishes, hoo-hoo, I'm done. It's not like that at all. It's no longer an event. It's a lifetime. It's a lifestyle. And that you're just determining to love, send it out without any regard of it coming back, and knowing that and trusting that it's going to come back. It's a boomerang. It's going to come right back to you. It's a commitment um, of sorts that you're just going to send it out regardless of what happens. You're only focused on you. And so stop the pity parties. I know it's hard. I know it's going to be very, very difficult, especially for those that are not getting it. But it'll come back. Those people come around and they start seeing how kind you are and they start seeing how loving you are. And they're going to start com coming around. And even my wife, was, well, she's learning. 
I mean, she's learning because of what the way I'm I'm sending what I'm sending out. That's how she's learning the love languages because she's trying to figure out what I'm sending out that day. So it's not like she's rolling the die. It's almost vicariously she's rolling the die by watching what I'm sending out that day. And then she can guess what love language that is. And so she's becoming familiar with all the love languages in that way, even though she's not rolling the die. So if you'll practice it, there should be some observation there. Hopefully there'll be some observation there from the spouse or from the significant other that they're going to learn a little bit more about what you're doing. If they're interested, hopefully they are interested in what you're doing, that they'll, they'll take that interest and they'll, they'll be able to discover what the love languages are all by themselves, almost indirectly is how it's going to happen. Yeah, so I guess it's a case of just making sure that this person is open-minded, they are prepared to you know, invest in the relationship and see it grow. And they might not take the same obsession and fascination that, you know, me and you have for this, for example, we love the concept. We think it's really, really makes a lot of sense. It helps a lot of relationships as well. But as long as they're open to trying to, again, find the different ways to love you, understand it a little bit more, then I think that that's the key to success there. And maybe you've just got to have your own boundaries in place of like, well, if I am giving out a lot of love and I'm doing it from a very selfless place, people are giving it back to me because I'm just giving it out to the world but there's, there's one person who doesn't and they're supposed to care for me, then that's where you obviously have to have that conversation with yourself. But generally speaking, it doesn't change your approach because you're taking responsibility for the way that you give love, not for the way you receive it. But then is a sense of drawing that boundary as well. So I think that makes sense from that perspective as well. So I'm now interested in terms of bringing this obviously to the masses a lot of people now know the term love language which i think is pretty incredible but i'm keen to hear what your thoughts are on how early we could get this into children's minds for example because i think that if i had this understanding a lot younger it probably would have been a lot easier for me to navigate things and i can imagine that even just treating friends and treating teachers or treating you know family members in certain ways that i recognize like you said that they light up could have been very very valuable so do you think this is something you could teach to young kids? And do you have experience with doing that? Well, that's a very good question, Elliot. And thank you for that. I've got a couple of experiences that, that I'm working with right now. I did test this with a family of five children. The youngest was was just four years old, a boy. And um, all, all, all the others were, were older. And, and he had some older brothers as well. So one day, the, the boy, he, he rolled physical touch. And he's jumping up and down, pumping his fists in the air and saying, yes, physical touch, physical touch. And immediately went and beat up on his brother. <laughs> obviously, that, that was what they, he thought physical touch was because that's what they did to him. And he, sense, thought yeah. that, he thought that was love. And so the mother's trying to suppress all the laughter while trying to say, no, son, that's not exactly what we had in mind for a loving physical touch. And just it becomes a teaching moment in that moment, Elliot. And so, so the the son learns at a very young age. You'll notice on the dice itself, it, there's no words, no words at all. So when ch small children learn how to read, they learn first from the pictures, and then they can tell the story, and then they, and then from that they'll be able to form the words and be able to sound those words out because they know the story already. That's kind of the same thing. So that's why we on on the this, uh, there's another reason why I just put the icons on here, the pictures on the die, is that it becomes a memory hook. When I was learning Japanese, I had to have memory hooks because of the kanjis and all the different, the, the writing that they had, you had to learn what the writings, writing said. And so those became memory hooks. 
these pictures of the love languages are like that as well. When you roll it first thing in the morning, it should be able to stay with you all day long. What did I roll this morning? And then, so you'll be watching all day long. Take that into a school situation. I'm looking at probably kindergarten through sixth grade, possibly, where the classrooms are still together at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. At the beginning of the day, they roll the die at the classroom, say, class, we're looking for gifts today, or we're looking for physical touch today. And the teacher takes maybe 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds to explain, this is what that looks like in the classroom situation. At the end of the day, the, at the end of the day, it's, I've talked to several teachers across the world, and they're saying that, that the last 10 to 15 minutes of the day, the children are anxious, they know the bell's going to ring, they want to go home, it's a really non-productive time. They're not thinking about anything. I'm saying take that non-productive time and have the kids re record what they rolled, what opportunities they saw to love in that way, and then what they did about those opportunities. So if they can journalize it, then they have, now they have, they're accountable. Whatever they rolled at the beginning of the day, what, how they acted or what opportunities they saw to, to love in that way throughout the day, and then what they did about those opportunities. They become accountable for, for what they did. I wish I would have had that in first grade um, and, or second grade or third grade. And by doing that, I, I, I wouldn't have to wait till 35 years old to realize, oh, I'm responsible for my own actions. Oh, that's a re revelation. 35 years old. I mean, I wish I would have had it at that young age. The second thing that happens with doing this in a school system is that for the first grader or the second grader or any, any of those grades, it becomes a journal. Who wouldn't have loved to have a journal of their first grade or the second grade class and what they loved about that class and what, what they did about that love that they felt. I would have loved to have something like that. So to take the burden away from the teachers, maybe they should just put a check mark on, on whether they, they wrote on the journal page or not and then back, send that one page home with the child. So it would be the parent's responsibility to keep those together at the end of the year, put it together as a journal and then they can bind it to do whatever they want so that the child later in life will have that love journal. And it'll be a legacy type of love journal, a specific journal for that. Do you think it's as effective with teenage children, for example? I can imagine, you know, second, third graders are very, very impressionable still and pretty open to exploring these different types of things. But when you take this into a teenage setting, have you found your experience to be the same with that age? I think that a lot. there's a lot of teenagers that are out there that are understanding and have been taught about the five love languages already, but they don't have this these new type of, of, of ways to practice it. And I think that they'd be very receptive to practicing it that way. Um, for, for just marketing uh, information, I actually set up a booth at a farmer's market a couple times a month. And in that, I'm just conversing with the teenagers. I'm conversing with small children. I'm conversing with uh, with the parents. And all all shapes and sizes of people are buying the die and the book and the journal. And they're buying it as a gift because they're saying, I had a 10-year-old come up the other day and said, said, oh, my mother would love that. He had uh, money in his pocket and he had enough money to buy the die. And he, and he just got it and he just took it and made a decision that way. Not very many little small children like that have that kind of money, but, but he did. No, it's beautiful. And I think that the big thing that I 
comes to my mind in this setting is also the emotional intelligence piece as well. It just gives us an ability to actually start to express certain feelings that might have been repressed, which we might not have an example for at home. So it's fantastic if we can set that tone for children and they can obviously carry that through their life. And, you know, whether they utilize it or not, it's kind of like, I guess, you know, the industry that I'm in when it comes to health and fitness, it's like give children nutritional information give them exercise information whether they do or not in their teenage years is a completely different story but at least they have those foundations they have that understanding and then just like anything in life it's their responsibility of whether they want to use it or not but you give them a much better head start in life if you give them that information from a much younger age versus you know like you mentioned working it out when you get 35 yeah absolutely no i agree and as far as exercise goes I think that um, you're probably very familiar with uh, the, the Sanskrit words that, that come to mind from the, it's a Sanskrit um, dialect from Northern India. They give us the words of Nirvana. They give us the words of Karma, but they also give us the word Namaste. So Namaste is something that you probably understand and may probably most of your listeners understand that very well. Namaste is putting the hands together, pointing upward with thumbs toward the breast and bow in your head and say namaste. It's at the end of a, a yoga class, at least in, in this country, but it's, a, diff, it's a, a sign of respect for that individual. And the Hindu version is that, it seems to say that the God in me sees the God in you, or the divine in me sees the divine in you. So as we're looking for the divine in one another, those are the good things that we're looking for. That's what we can love about that person. That's that's kind of what we're trying to accomplish with the die as well, is that we're trying to watch for the good in people, trying to focus on that. You know, the media is out there trying to say, well, look what this person did wrong and look at all the faults of this person, especially in a, a political campaign. You're going to you're going to get shot at from all sides and you may have bullet holes in you from at least in your character about they're trying to tear you down. They're trying to find fault with you and trying to trying to find your mistakes or going down that critical path. We don't have to do that. We really don't have to do that. Someone's willing to serve. Someone's willing to serve. They ought to be able to serve. They ought to be able to, to serve their country in whatever capacity they can. For sure. And I think that, as you mentioned earlier, it's all about just giving it out, giving it out, because of that's going to have a knock-on effect on someone else. And then they're going to have a brighter day, like you mentioned to Kathy about her brand new haircut you know she lits up and she's probably carrying good energy with her for the remainder of the day and maybe her husband felt a little bit embarrassed in the moment but he now probably thinks ah well i'm going to try and be a bit more observant now or maybe i'm going to look I out for... up, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. which you know only makes the world a better place as long as they take it in the right way of course but that's you know <laughs> their responsibility more so than anyone else's so i'm intrigued you obviously have six phases on the dice and you decided to put a surprise me or dealer's choice whatever it might be on one side if you could add another land language with all the experience that you have would you add anything else or do you think the five is pretty complete i think that um i would probably create a new die that had kind of a higher love language higher love language in my mind would be empathy compassion charity and just those higher higher laws and i think that empathy compassion and charity really really embody a lot of these these are really simple simplistic i might say they're very this very entry level and i would think that the next die i would have the higher laws uh, I think there's several qualities. Patience might be one. 
you know, I don't know what I'd create for an icon for patience, but I think that it's a very good question, Elliot. I, I don't know. I think that the, the next one would be the higher law. Mm. I like that empathy and compassion piece as well, because I think that, you know, if that's the intention you go into, into a day with your partner, with a family member, with the world around you, again, like it can only be a net positive for sure. I can't see how that can be anything that's not remotely a good thing in any way. So that's yeah, really, really interesting as well. So with the love languages and everything that we know about them and practicing them on a day-to-day basis as well, and obviously over time, we continue to get better and better and it becomes a lifestyle. Is there ever a point where you think, well, actually, I probably don't need to roll the dice anymore. Is there ever a stage where you think, well, actually, I'm just going to go about my intuition and what I feel to give? Or do you always think leaning on that roll of the dice is a helpful thing as a reminder? You know, I've done it for six years now. And I oh, wow. I, and I, I had the copy, got the copyright in 2017 so on, for the die. So and, that, and it's kind of part of the backstory, too that I took it to a, a mental health specialist and he said, I got to write a book about it. This was last year that he said that. So I wrote the book and and had it edited, wrote, uh, designed the cover and everything and published it this year. So that's what I've got the book for. But I think that um, as far as stopping, I don't, I don't see myself stopping. I like the randomness of it, Elliot. I, mm. I, I, like, the, I like the direction I like the theme that it gives me in the day that I could pick it out of a hat, but I just think it's it's more fun. It's it's a game, and it's like the if you make game if you make your work all that you do for work if you make it more like a game, people like games. They just have fun, and this is fun. If you make love fun, it's going to be fun. Just make it make it be creative. And make it fun to, to do, and so that's I'm still at that point. That is still really fun for me to roll the die. I rolled service this morning, and um, already have great opportunities to do that. Already have done several opportunities, but um, it's just fun. It's just watching for great opportunities to to make it happen. Mm, yeah, that gamifying concept is very very nice as well. And like you said, rather than looking at it as a an obligation or a chore, which maybe you know in the initial stages, whilst you're trying to, especially if it wasn't your idea, maybe it was your partner's idea, it might feel like that initially. But once you start to see the return on investment and the impact it has, and ultimately we want to improve our relationship. So I think if we take out the aspect of it being work and just go into it and see, think of like the long term impact of it and the compounding effect as well on a day-to-day basis i think we can look at it with a real a much more positive light and that brings me on to one of my final questions which is the return on investment what type of improvements do you see in people's relationships with their significant other and with the remainder of the world off the back of doing this on a regular basis what are the improvements that you've seen personally in your relationship Elliot, that's a great question i love the words return on investment too because everybody that i know everybody that i've ever met wants to put in a little and get back a lot. If, if you, it takes two seconds to roll the die, two seconds of your day, and you get a huge return on that investment by just doing what, what the manifestation, what the die says, just do it, and you get a huge return on your investment. That's number one for the return on investment. I don't know anything else in life that you can get a better return on your investment than just taking that two seconds and then de- determining to love every day. I don't see that. I don't see it stopping, but I, I don't th- I don't think people get tired of that, of, of sending it out. And I think that the that return on investment that I've seen is that I don't, I'm not flashing anymore. I'm not annoyed anymore. I, I, 
I've really taken that out of my out of my wheelhouse that that's really not my business anyway. What whatever someone else is doing that might be annoying me, that's really kind of none of my business. It's their choice. And they have just like I have choices, I'm choosing to love. They have their own choices and they, maybe they don't have that knowledge that I've that I have or that I've gained this way. It's, and they have to make their choices. And sometimes you, 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 I might question them. I say, you really going to do that? And I, I'd say something like that, just kind of to tease them and say, well, you really choosing to do that? And it's just asking, asking them instead of judging them, just asking them if that's really the direction they want to go. Because I, I really found that most people, when they really think about it, they don't want to send anger out. They don't want to send judgment out because they know it's coming right back to them. And it's just um, if they thought more about it and were more thoughtful, more purposeful, more intentful about it, they'd send love out. And, and I think that's the change. That's really what you can look forward to, that that can be the change in your own life. That just send it out. That's our responsibility. That's what we're here for. I think that's the key to success as well. It's not just removing the anger and expecting that to be kind of this empty void where you walk around kind of being emotionless and neutral. It's filling it with something. And as you've mentioned, like if you're so focused on doing acts of service, it's pretty hard to be angry and do acts of service. Oh, you can. But at the same time, if you're coming from the right place and you've got the right intention behind it, I think that that can be a big key, right? That's that's absolutely true. That while you're focused on one thing, you're focused on the nice end of the stick. You know, on the naughty end of the stick, there's ang- anger and all, all its humor and all its vocabulary. You on the loving end of the stick, there's also vocabulary. There's also language, and and it's just a different different perspective. When I realized at age 35 where I was on the stick, I had to uh, when when I realized that I was blaming someone. When you blame someone, you don't have to change. It's their fault. You don't have to change at all. When you stop blaming and realize that what's my part in this, how can, what, you know, it's like the Lord is it I type of thing. What What is it in my life that I need to change to be able to move to, to in the right direction, to the nice side of the stick? And that's, that's kind of the choices you have. You have the three choices. When you have that self-actualization, You've got you can stay the same and blame everybody else for the for the problems you're having. You can go toward anger, become more angry, or you can be more loving. I mean, even if you put um, being being fit on the nice side of the stick, or being not healthy, um, not exercising or anything on the other side of the stick, find out where you're at and move toward being more fit. Mm. And the final question I have on this topic specifically is we will all probably experience a day where our intention for the day is service again as an example and we just have this day where we're super self-consumed we're only mainly doing stuff for ourselves, or we can't find a a way to do it because we're just caught up in all of our day-to-day tasks what do we do when we have a day where we haven't fulfilled that love language intention of the day i learned early on even at age 21 that as low as I was at that time, I didn't have any money. I didn't have, um, I, you know, employment was just kind of sketchy and it was a really hard time. But I found that that, that uh, when I went to a rest home, I found someone that, that had had a stroke. They couldn't write letters. So I began to write letters for them. There will always be someone lower than where you're at on, on any given day, always. So if you can lift someone up on that day, if you can help them have a better day in any way, shape, or form, your day is going to all, all of a sudden get better too. 
And so on those on those specific days, you just need to find a service opportunity, find an opportunity to find someone that's lower than you, raise them up. Perfect. I like that a lot. And then the lucky thing is, as well, the next day you've got another opportunity to roll that dice and it might just be the same one as the day before. So you get a second opportunity as that. Perfect. Paul, this has been a very, very interesting, insightful conversation. I want to wrap up with a final couple of questions. And the first is, what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? I would like the world to love a little bit more, just even a little bit more, even if it's 1%. Maybe you already are a loving person. Maybe you already do feel like you do all those loving things. But if you're just loving in the five love languages, step it up into that compassion, step it up into the charity, step it up into the for forgiveness, step it up into the empathy, step it up to the next level of compassion, and just try a little bit harder to be a little bit more loving. I think if we do that, the, the whole concept, Elliot, and the whole uh, the idea of this is to tamp down misbehaving, tamp down the violence. Let's let's be less angry. Let's and and that's the whole. That's what I came into this trying to accomplish for myself. And I think that as from a world standpoint, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to tamp down anger in the world. And I think this is really a, a bit, it's been a wonderful tool for me. I think it could be a wonderful tool for a lot of other people as well. Yeah, completely agree. And where's the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you do, read the book, get the dice, for example? If it's a pod, podcast like this and they're listening to the podcast, they might want to listen to the book. And so Amazon is the best place to find it. I did, did make an audible of the book. You can also get the paperback version of the book and the journal on Amazon. But when you go on Amazon, you don't want to type in role of love or love anything because you're going to get a million ways to love. And this can be a needle in the haystack. If you'll type in my name, it'll take you right to that. You can buy the Kindle version or you can buy the Audible version or you can buy the paperback version there. To get the die, um, and I do sell the books on my website, but for those that are not in the United States, it might be a little expensive for the postage. Amazon might be a better choice for the for the books. But for the die, you've got to go to my website, and that's rolloflove.com, R-O-L-E of love.com. And I did a kind of a play on the words, you R-O-L-L, -L, roll the die, but you change inside when you actually bring those actions inside you and then send it out. Incredible. I'll make sure all of that is in the show notes below. And Paul, can you do me a favor before we leave? Can you roll the dice on my behalf and choose one for me today? Surprise me. Oh, that's a good one. That's a great one to start yeah. with. All right, I'll have to think about that. Go. But thank you so much for your time today, Paul. It's been an incredible conversation. Thank you, Elliot. It's been my pleasure. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.